0: This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. (laughs) Listener discretion is advised.
1: You're listening to the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast... We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to the Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast... Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. I have some interesting stats about my podcast that I thought I'd share with everyone. About 44% of you are between the ages of 45 and 49 years old. I thought that was interesting. And I had a little contest on Twitter the other day about this next one. 77% of listeners are female and 23% are male. And other than the United States, I now have listeners in Sweden, Australia, Morocco, Argentina, the Philippines, Lebanon, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, Ireland, and Canada. And we're also on YouTube, so I've learned that YouTube is kind of a totally different beast. It has uh, different algorithms, and I can't even have my own URL until I get 100 subscribers. So if you could just go over to YouTube, and I guess you can click from from the link that I put on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can click the link from there when I post the YouTube um, ones, but... If you click on YouTube, you don't have to listen to it there if you don't prefer YouTube, but I would love it if you click subscribe and maybe just um, leave a little thumbs up, leave a little comment that you liked the podcast or what you liked about that particular show that you listened to. Um, the algorithms of YouTube are completely different and I'm learning a lot about them. So if you could please go over to YouTube on just a couple of episodes and just you know, like again, click thumbs up and, and leave some comments. That would be really awesome. I'd really appreciate that. Um, but thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, again, I'm doing this all for fun and it is fun for me. It just gives me something to do in retirement and I love interviewing people. It's so fun. And, uh, let's see. So next, next week, um, we're going to have mother's day and I'm just going to replay the episode with my mom and I. So, that was the very first episode that I ever recorded and it's so sweet. My mom is just a, a doll. I love her so much. But that's going to be next week for Mother's Day. Um so Uh, remember there's eight platforms to listen on, but YouTube is the one I'm trying to build up right now. Again, so go subscribe if you can and click the like button a million times if you can. So um, I would really like to get my own URL. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for supporting. If you want to support, it only takes 99 cents a month. You can click on the Little button that says support that would be very helpful that just helps uh pay for the program that i use to record the guests that does cost money um but um again 99 cents is is really honestly all i need because if a lot of people do that then it adds up to the 15 dollars or 20 dollars a month i forget what it is to pay for it it's automatic so I really appreciate all of you. I, I love getting on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and talking to everybody. And just I just want to say thank you again for listening. You're all awesome. Now, let's listen to Detective Blue Line, a cop for 18 years as he tells his story. And he talks about the support he gets from his wife. So on with the show. I'm joined today by a full-time police officer, also known on Twitter as Detective Blue Line. So thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Oh, and thank you for having me come on the show.
1: Of course. So today we're going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about some bad calls that you've been to. And we're going to end on a positive note with some um, stories about the support that you get from your wife. Okay? Yes. So start by telling me and our listeners a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I've been a full-time police officer for approximately 18 years. Uh, Before that, I was in the insurance business. Uh, I was actually a life insurance underwriter. So I actually did a little bit of investigations through that. And that really kind of piqued my interest. Um, After 9-11, our uh, department had actually uh, more or less disbanded. They they sent everything uh, out to another office. So at that point, uh, I took advantage of the time. I I had some money saved up, uh, to go back to college. I took a job with our uh, sheriff's department in corrections and, uh, went to school at night and I got finished up my bachelor's degree. I graduated magna cum laude, uh, from the college. And, uh, after that I put myself through the police academy. And after that I was able to go to a larger, uh, sheriff's department after that. Uh, then, uh, for the state that I'm in, uh, it's, the employment is kind of a little harder to to get into than than some other states. So you had to work part time uh, or uh, take jobs with uh, smaller departments. I finally got in with a bigger department, but before then, I was with a, a small city department and worked part time. Uh, that department was like family to me, and I really uh, really loved working working there. Once. I was hired at the bigger department. I had worked there for approximately a year. Uh, One of the things that the chief had come to me about and told me was, uh, I understand you're a younger officer. Uh, There's a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, We just want to make sure that you don't leave. And I said, the only department I would ever leave for was the small city department, uh, and I said, "But you know what? They're never going to call me. Uh, yeah, and uh, they're uh, they won't be hiring anytime soon." And literally within a month, uh, I got a phone call that they were that they were doing a mass hire. And oh wow, yeah, yeah. So I I, I told the chief, "I'm like, sorry, you know, <laughs> you guys you guys did a wonderful <laughs> job, but uh, I I loved the, the department down there. It was a lot of uh, it, a lot of action down there. Uh, a lot of calls. Uh, they." Gave me uh, exceptional training down there, uh, but uh, I had to go where my heart was with the mm-hmm. with the department I'm at now. And again, we all are are like family, uh, dysfunctional absolutely. family, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> are <Yeah>. we
0: all? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: So you've been a police officer for 18 years. Is that yes. is that right? Okay. Yes. And what made you choose this career path in the beginning?
0: Well. Again, when I was doing the the insurance work, uh, we would uh, get involved with investigations through, uh, people would apply for life insurance. And nine times out of 10, somebody's coming in and they're saying, hey, you know, I'm a healthy person. Uh, You know, I can can afford, you know, $100,000 insurance. And, And that was fine. But then we would get the people that came in. I'd like a million dollars of life insurance, but I don't want a, a health exam or I don't want you to get medical records. So my <laughs> department was the department that that went and checked on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and through that, I kind of got the taste of doing investigations and uh, right from there, uh, that really kind of uh, uh, peaked uh, my interest. And then again, this was right after nine 11 uh, and I had given. Uh, I, I had my services in my country when I was out of high school, but I wanted to give back uh, and, and get back into it. And, uh, and so, through law enforcement, that was uh, it, that was the best way to to fulfill all of that.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Now, how many different assignments have you worked as an officer in your eighteen
0: years? Well, mostly with our department, uh, we have investigations and we have uh, patrol. But with patrol, we have uh, different tangents, uh, that, that we can, uh, work. Um, I was involved with the, uh, drug task force. I, I've been working with that since the beginning, and I still currently work on that. I'll tell you a funny story about that a- after I'm done. Um, and also with the gang task force, uh, I was one of the officers instrumental in getting it, uh, in our County. And now we're part of a more regional, uh, uh, approach for the task force. And, uh, We've been very successful with our investigations here but going back to the drug task force back when I first started uh, it was all about kicking down doors doing search warrants uh, you know getting these guys off the street now I'm older so now I'm the guy that <laughs> I, I, I'm the guy that's dumping the cell phones on the cell right and you know doing the open source investigations I' I'm, 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 I'm more behind the scenes uh-huh. I'm running the search warrants back and forth. Yeah, I'm bringing the when they bring the people in, I'm doing questioning and, and with everyone. But more or less, I'm I'm now, uh, you know, kind of doing the you know, more desk type work. That's, that's because yeah. we
1: do get older, you know. Yes. We're not. Yeah. We're not yeah.
0: yeah and we anymore. got. And you know what we got? You know, we have young officers that they're I see uh, what I saw in myself. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they have that same drive. So they're the ones now they want to kick the doors in. They want to, they want to go do that. And God bless. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So what was your favorite assignment? It was drug task force, your favorite, or did you like the gangs better? Oh, or? Yeah,
0: the, the gang task force was actually uh, very very opening, And uh, that uh, because each different gang, whether it's a street gang or outlaw motorcycle gang, they had their own culture. And uh, it's just amazing to, and I'm, I'm kind of nerdy. So I like to read the books. I like to learn as much as I can and just learning what I, I learned about some of these different groups uh, was uh, very interesting for me. It's kind of sad though, how with these uh, gangs, whether it's a, a street gang or an at motorcycle gang, uh, they all kind of fall back on the same thing where you have young, you know, young men, mostly, They don't have that, um, they don't have that structure in their life. They fall into this group where, uh, they, they believe that they have that structure. And, uh, unfortunately it's all illegal illicit activities that they're Mm -hmm. getting involved in. They, they, they look for that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sad point that, um, the other thing that I did too, and I, I, I had written down, um when we were uh, doing the emails was I also did animal control and I'm fully trained as a uh, animal control officer in our County. So uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, uh, doing that. That that was, I I think with that, that was the most rewarding um, uh, task that I've had uh, so far is working with the animal control because it's just like with, with children, sometimes they don't have voices. They can't sit there and talk to you. And tell you, you know, that this is going on, you have to uh, dig in and mm-hmm. find that. And, uh, and um, you're real, you're taking those animals out of those situations and putting them into, uh, into a better life. And, and right, again, we right. see that, we see that with so many different situations, whether again, if, if it's uh, an animal cruelty case, uh, child abuse case, um, you know, and again, some of these kids can't, you know, whether it's a, a child or, or an animal or, or, or even an in, in individual with a disability, say, so can't uh, articulate what's going on. And we have to really be their voice.
1: Yeah. And and you you had uh, told me about some of the calls that you went on. You haven't told me the stories yet. I'm going to have you tell them here sure. uh, for us listeners to hear. But um, can you talk about uh, some difficult calls that you had? Like one, you talked about a shaken baby call. Can you, yes. would you like to talk about that?
0: Um, I could I could talk about it a little bit. It, it's still in court right now,
1: okay.
0: Uh, okay. But uh, so I, I can't go into too much detail. Uh, but uh, with that, um, our, our patrol officers have been uh, sent to uh, the hospital for suspicious activity. There was a guy there. He uh, he brought in a child. Child wasn't breathing. Uh, he was uh, acting very strange. Not not having that normal. Um, uh, and not showing those normal signs that, that, there was, you know, that, that he was going through distress, the child was going through distress. Uh, the child got sent down to, uh, our major medical uh, trauma center. Um, there was, I, I, was on the phone with our, uh, children and youth, uh, investigator. Uh, she would call me at four o'clock in the morning saying, I don't think the girl's going to make it. And, uh, that there, we, we just put all, forth all effort with that. Luckily for us, we were able to get the suspect in, um, pretty much immediately. And he was able it, it was myself and the children youth investigator. And, uh, he came through, gave us a statement, uh, gave me a video, allowed us, uh, uh through consent to, to enter the house. And we got a search warrant, you know, just to cover our buds. Uh, but we went into the house. Once we got into the house, he showed us how he supposedly, you know, brought this girl down the stairs and supposedly she fell. Um, and the doctor saw that and said, absolutely no way. They said this was something that they said this was one of the, the most serious cases of shaking baby syndrome that they had ever seen. He claimed that she had fallen down the steps mm-hmm. uh, while he was carrying her and, and there was no signs of bruising. Um, there was, uh, he gave so many inconsistent details and, and, it came right out in the, uh, uh, in, in uh, the video that he gave us, but, uh, probably the most heartbreaking part of that was, um, I had not actually seen her. Um, I had seen the pictures, uh, and I had to go down to, uh, the hospital to, uh, go talk to the doctors, uh, go talk to, uh, uh, some other staff there. And I, I walked into the room and where she was, I said, "Can I see this girl?" And they allowed me to go in. And I mean, she was she had just uh, been out of brain surgery, so she, her head was completely bandaged. She had tubes everywhere. Um, she had uh, two ICU nurses uh, keeping watch over. And you know, it, abs- it absolutely broke my heart when I saw that. And then, what makes it even worse is that the the mom and the boyfriend, uh, who was our suspect um we're making such light of this uh when they had the the password to get into the uh to get into the uh hospital it was they put it down as crybaby which oh. yeah which is which is absolutely horrible i do actually i did not send this link to you I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards um it was about uh 2 years and i've been keeping up with with everything and again the court case is still Still pending. He's actually uh, awaiting sentencing right now. Uh, but um, there was a uh, in our local newspaper. There was an article about a group that had given uh, bicycles to special needs children. Now I knew that she ended up getting formally adopted by one of her nurses at the rehab, but I didn't know anything else, like where she was, or or uh, I, I was just getting updates about her condition, and lo and behold on the front cover of our of our local newspaper was a picture of our victim riding one of these special news bikes so she lived she lived she oh, lived wow. she she's her life is not going to be the same um her life has been dramatically changed mm-hmm. uh from this but the fact that she lived in i'll tell you uh, between myself and all the other people involved we prayed for her You know, we, we really, uh, you know, I, I believe in the power of faith with that one. Mm -hmm. So, because again, I was getting phone calls, multiple phone calls said she wasn't going to make it. Um, yeah. And somehow she pulled through and she's out of that, uh, situation with her, with her mom and her mom, the boyfriend, uh, they were just horrible, horrible people.
1: I get it. I get it. Yeah now you have another call that you said um, that you dealt with at a kennel that you say you actually suffer post-traumatic stress from. Yes. So can we talk yep. about that
0: one? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to talk too much about it, though. You know, because like I said, yeah, it, it, it brings back, a, you know, mm-hmm. a little too much. But um, mm-hmm. uh, just to get, kind of give you my, some insight, my, my wife and I, we adopted uh, a dog. Uh, this is, you know, way back then. And uh, – we had gone on vacation and I knew this kennel cause it's right outside of our, our area there, right outside of our city. And we took our, the dog there. Um, and when we went on vacation and I love the people there, I love the way that they did everything. Um, just a few weeks later, um, we got a call for, for a fire. It, it's outside of our jurisdiction, but they, they called us to, to respond to assist. And, um, there was a propane explosion and their trailers so, um, all the dogs were, were in the cages. So we, uh, myself, and, uh, there was four other officers. We, we went into the, into the fire along with the fire company and we're pulling dogs out of the cages left mm-hmm. and right. Um, and there were some dogs, obviously that, they couldn't make it. So, um, it, like I said, and so much from that, and I'll, i go on a little bit with that with, uh, with, you know, talking about my wife and some of the other problems I have, because I mentioned about, um, I think part of it is the, like uh, I have a little bit of claustrophobia from that. Um, the fact that we were in this enclosed trailer, we there was four of us were trying to grab these dogs. The the flames are. I mean, basically, my my shirt was melted in the back. It's the polyester shirt. Uh-huh. Uh, it was melted to my best uh, uh-huh. by the time we got done, uh, just from the heat in there. And uh-huh. um, yeah, like I said, I with that, I, I I'm better now. Um, I still have some residual, you know, uh, things I deal with, with it. But, um, for years I, I couldn't talk about it. And every time I thought, I I think about it, I just, I would think about my dog being Mm -hmm. here and how, you know, and again, it goes back to the animal cruelty part where you have these dogs that they don't have a voice. They, they can't sit there and say, Hey, can you, you know, I I need help or, you know, and so just going in there and seeing the, these helpless animals in there were just really, you know, like I said, that it really upset me. And and, it,
1: and you said that your dog was in there just a week prior, right? Yeah, But yes. it was out at home yes, safe.
0: Yeah. And then even, and then even going and, and it's weird because like there were some other traumatic things that happened that day. Um, uh, basically, and, and I know you have your little You know, thing up. uh, You know, before the show, there's some things that you may not want to hear. But like the the what happened was a propane delivery, and the propane driver um, was involved with the blast. And basically, to see him and and, you know, like basically, the skin was just you know falling off of him. And uh, and now he survived. um, And but you know, he's he's never going to be the same either. He he was he was trying to get in there with us. When we were trying to rescue the dogs.
1: Oh wow! Even yeah. after
0: being blown after up? after being blown up, yeah.
1: Ugh, so yeah, you can't unsee that. And, no.
0: and so, I'm sure there's no. smells the, that. No, the smell is what really, mm-hmm. what really, and it, it, it's just, and then hearing it like you know, and then just kind of going into some of the other uh, senses, like the sounds of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, really, yeah. That that really the uh, the the cries, oh. the barks just really uh, like I said it still haunts me, but I I have things I do and there's things my, my wife helps helps out with that, you know, really and like I said, we'll we'll talk about that after the after the break.
1: Yeah, so so we are gonna talk about how you take your difficult emotions and your traumatic memories and what you do to take steps to relax and keep that under control. Yes. And I also want to talk about how important your wife is and how important it is to have some support. So, Absolutely. we'll be right back. We'll be right back after this break. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and corner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. So we're back from break. And as we all know, if an officer is experiencing trouble at home, it eventually affects productivity at work. And it could also lead to problems with even drugs or alcohol. So it's super important for officers to have a strong support system in place. And you're married, right?
0: Yes, I am. Yep.
1: Okay, how long have you been married? Uh,
0: I had to. I, I know the year because it's uh, it, it, it's eleven years now. It, it's yeah. I had to. I'm sometimes I'm not good with the math, but I, I know the day. I the day is very important to me, and and uh, it was in 2008 we got married, and uh, eleven years. Well, oh. you know, coming on coming on twelve.
1: So, what does your wife think about your career as an officer?
0: Uh, She is completely behind it. Um, We got married uh, and we actually met. um, I I met her on the job. And, you know, not to make it sound too stereotypical because this happens sometimes, but she was working as the uh, check-in clerk at the hospital. So I, I would come in and, you know, when I was working night shift, I bring the DUIs in, she was working night shift. So that, that's how it all started. So I, would, I always hear people talk about, oh, nurses and cops, you know, and <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of the same thing. So that she knew what I did. Um, she knew about the people that I dealt with. And uh, now she doesn't work at the hospital anymore, which is good, um, because things kind of got worse now. But um, but she uh, – she is 100% behind me with this. However, the two of us are both, both of us are counting down the days uh, for my retirement. So <laughs> I bet. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she said, I don't want you to put a uniform on, you know, and she was like, as long as you're, as you feel that that's the right way to go. Um, now, I did tell her I might look into becoming a park ranger. She's happy with that, but she doesn't want to see me go to another department. after mm-hmm, retirement, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you two hang out with other officers and their wives? Like, uh, do you have a little
0: much. couple? We, yeah, we, we keep our, we keep our social circle kind of, kind of closed. Um, and when we do, it's, it's usually other officers or ironically, her best friend at work who, uh, she, you know, doesn't work in the medical field anymore. She works with a warehouse Um, her best friend is married to a police officer. So now the four of us go out and, you know, it might be, you know, and I don't drink. So I'll tell you, know, they do their wine tours. So of course, you know, me me and her husband will sit there and swap war stories and the girls go (laughs) have their wine. So, Um, but yeah, we keep our social circle kind of, kind of tight. You know, family means a lot to us. So we're very, very close with our, with our families, but um, like I said, most of the time, though, no, you know, sh- and she said, even for her, it's hard, uh, because she hears other, um, <laughs> other coworkers talking about some of the issues that they have. And she's like, you know, listen, you know, some of the stuff that, that, you know, my husband's gone through is completely in a different, different ballpark than, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, what they're going through. So, mm-hmm. right. Uh,
1: Has she ever been on a ride along? With you or with anyone else?
0: No, she hasn't. Um, I know she's expressed interest in it, but um, I don't think she she wants to at this maybe, point. Maybe yeah, shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, away from there. Yeah. and and the one thing is, is that with her working at the hospital, um, like I said, we brought in DUIs, but then we would also have three hundred twos, you know, mental health commitments, and she has seen the absolute worst. She's seen some funny things that have happened, but she's also seen the worst where, you know, we're bringing somebody in for an involuntary and they decide to, you know, uh, throw down. And, you know, we're the only people there that can that can help out. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it does get ugly.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you come home from your shift every day, do you tell her about things that that happen on your shift? Like, do you give her like a rundown or a debriefing of everything you did?
0: I don't. Um you know, one thing that, that we kind of have this understanding with is uh, unless there's something that's really bothering me, I, I won't talk to her about, hey, this, you know, this is the calls that I went on. Uh, uh, these are the, the things I investigated. She knows. Uh, and the one thing is, is that, you know, especially now with social media, everyone kind of knows what's going on. But um, but with her. Um, she doesn't come out and ask and, and basically we, we have this understanding and and, it, and I think this is an understanding that a lot of police officers and their wives or, or husbands should have is, you know, if you sit there and say, hey, what what exactly happened? Or uh, sometimes you don't want to want to rehash that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it's best. Uh, she knows that if I have something that I really want to uh, do, she'll know. And, we're kind. We kind of key in on each other so that she knows if I if I'm having a bad day, um, it's not so much that she'll ask me. She'll come up and she'll give me a hug, you know, or she'll she'll you know uh, come in and say, "Hey, are you all right?" You know, without directly asking about what happened. And then I can say, "Hey, listen, you know, we just helped dealt with a with a death investigation," or I might go into something like that, but I won't go into too many details. And like I said, we we both have that understanding. Um, I also don't do the same with her either, you know, because she does have bad days and I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same way where uh, if I see her having a bad day, it's the same thing. I'll come up, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll give her that support. And if she wants to talk to me about it, I'm there uh, for, for her to talk about.
1: Okay. Are there any things that you two have agreed upon that you just absolutely will not tell her about no matter what?
0: (sighs) I don't think so. I, uh, I mean, you know, I I don't think that there's anything out there that that real like I can't. Um, there's things that I keep, you know, that, that I'll keep, and but she knows about them. You know, she knows about the feelings I've had with the uh, with the kennel fire. She knows about some of the feelings I've had with some of these other cases I've worked on, uh, and she knows about you know kind of the trauma that goes along with it. Um, but. Um, we don't really keep anything secret, uh, per se. Um, it, it, the funny thing is, is, and this is actually kind of, kind of silly is we did do a prostitution bust and I told her, I said, well, I said, I might have to go in there as one of the, (laughs) one of the people. She was like, ah, that's fine. You know? So, (laughs) you know, something like that, you know, but like, like I said, some of the, the deep feelings, I, we have another outlet, um, and I'll talk about that maybe a little later. Uh, that I, and uh, but basically, there's nothing really that I'll I keep hidden from her.
1: Okay. Now, since since you said she offers you a lot of support, do, is it safe to say that she notices shifts in your mood and asks you what's wrong? Like if you walk in the door,
0: oh, she absolutely. Yeah, no, no, she, she's really, like I said, the two of us, uh, we really kind of pick up on each other's uh, uh, feelings and everything. I uh, seriously, I think that if in another life, she would have made a great detective too. <laughs> uh, because again, I think that both of us, we can kind of, you know, read the micro expressions and, and, and such. And and I can kind of tell, you know, and, and she could also.
1: Yeah. So now earlier you said you, you suffer from claustrophobia, Um, and your wife is really good about helping you through that. Yeah. Can you talk about that more? Like, did that come from that kennel call or did you already have claustrophobia? Talk about that.
0: I never, never really noticed much problems with claustrophobia before. In fact, I used to, uh, you know, go down, uh, you know, like tubes and stuff, uh, you know, back in, back in the old Coast Guard days, you know, in in enclosed spaces, I had no problems whatsoever. But it seems like after his kennel fire, just things kind of, maybe I had it in there and I just kind of kept it a, kept it down and, and kept it under control. But it seems like after that, I, I, I seem to have the problem. Um, and I have a problem with like people too. Like, you know, like And when I say people, like uh, if I'm not working, like if I'm working and I'm working, say like a festival or I'm working, you know, uh, a, a large event and I'm in the middle of 300 people, I have no problem. But if I'm not per, if I'm not working and I'm, I'm sitting there and and I think it's because of the fact that I have a way out. Um, I, and I think that you know if I like if we go to a concert or if we go, uh, to uh, like uh maybe like a convention or something, I I, I just kind of get those feelings, and I have to look for that you know look for that way out. I have to look for you know that that plan of escape, and so my wife she. She kind of keyed in on this uh, uh, more more so in, in the last couple of years. So what she does is she always, if she sees me starting to kind of, you know, hyperventilate a little bit or starting to get a little upset, she'll say, okay, hey, you know what? Over here, there's a there's a bench. It's a, it's a nice open area. We can go over there. Um, like if we go to concerts, uh, that's a big thing. We always pick an end seat. For me, I cannot be, you know, at concerts or we go to a lot of hockey games. So, well, not anymore. You know, next year we'll go, but um, we always use the end seats. Uh, you know, I got to have that, I got to have that, you know, escape route.
1: And yeah, I think really that,
0: that comes back. To, yeah, I, I, exactly. And I think that comes back to I never had those problems until until the pizzazz, you know, until the uh, kennel explosion.
1: Gotcha. And, and what about your, I'm sure you have a uh, hypervigilance because every yes. cop does, how yes. does she handle your constant state of hypervigilance? And how it, does does she get frustrated at you sometimes when you no, go to, no, or, no. or does she handle that? Well,
0: no, 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 no. She, she's so understanding. And the one thing that she'll do is uh, when we go to a restaurant, what seat do you want to sit at? You know, uh, that's the first thing, you know, like we'll be led to our table. What, what seat do you want to sit at? And, and uh, it's just little things like that, that really kind of, uh, you know, make me feel better. And then I can I can sit there. And like I said, I'll still be in that state. But I'll knowing that, again, you have that escape or you have that that way to get out. It, you, you feel a little better about it. Yeah, She uh, knows
1: that you need to, to pick your seat and that gives you
0: some control. Correct. You, you correct. need that control. Correct. It's more, it's, it's, it's about the control, but maybe not so much. I think it's about that, you know, you got to have that fight or flight syndrome so that if you, if something were to happen and, you know, I always think of the worst, you know, that you have that, you know, uh, that advantage over any person that's going to be doing something bad to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Isn't it sad that we have to think the worst? I, I, I remember when I was on the job and I worked CSI for 15 years. Yeah. And so uh, but sometimes we would show up at calls and the, the suspect would still be there, you know, or and, and and it was just I I think that's just a way to prepare our minds. I always thought of the worst. And, and a lot of people out there that aren't cops are going to say, why do you think the worst in everything? That's not what I mean. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of the worst case scenario and put myself in that position and think, OK, yeah. what what would I do if? what will yep. i do when and that helps me again feel more in control about what absolutely. could happen and i think absolutely. every person out there should do that not just cops
0: exactly just
1: with all of our crime going on today every person should should evaluate you know what they would do in yes. any situation that's just a normal human instinct to me
0: yeah absolutely and and again it's something that uh, they they say it's the hypervigilance um but but really more or less it's it's that survival factor, you know, and oh, especially yeah. in today's day and age. Because you never and, know. You know. Did you read my book? I did. I did. Okay. Chapter now, eleven made me cry.
1: I know. That's yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: that's no problem.
1: So I lived, was born and raised in California, I lived in Sacramento all my life. And it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crime filled town. There's some areas that don't have crime, but it's, it's really bad. And I'm glad to be out of there. I moved to Tennessee uh, right after I retired. So I've been here almost four years <clears throat> and I still I still watch my back when I go places and when I go to the gas station and, but it's way safer here. I live in a town where, I mean, there's like hardly any crime here at all. I I laugh when people say, Hey, guess what happened this morning? Someone broke in this place and stole 25 cents. It just, it cracks me up. That's crime to them here. Yeah. But I notice myself still just watching my back every everywhere I go, and it's yeah. it's like gosh, I've been retired for four years, and I can't get out of this, you know.
0: Exactly, exactly, and that, that's why I'm a little worried about when I do retire. I got to find something that I guess I can kind of you know keep involved with a little bit, but
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, but not quite you know putting you know putting the uniform on every morning and
1: yeah, a safe you know, way yeah. to do it. Yeah, Voluntil exactly for
0: something safely. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that my wife has been my absolute rock, you know, in, in, in everything. And, uh, I, I really lucked out in finding her and, and, (laughs) and again, she has been so supportive of me and, uh, with, uh, everything that I do. And again, uh, you know, we, we just have this, you know, uh, mutual, uh, connection that. She knows, you know, like I said, when when to to kind of come come over and to to give me that support. She knows there's other times that I, I'm I'm not that I really don't want to talk to anybody, and uh, and so you know she'll she'll let me go for a little bit, but then at some point she'll she'll come down and say, okay, you know, uh, you don't have to talk to me about what happened, but you know let's go upstairs and watch TV let, let let's let's sit together let, let's yeah. let's go out for a drive and and yeah. it really is has yeah. been a great help come
1: back to reality
0: come on yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely
1: now do you have any words of advice for wives of law enforcement out there just talk to the wives right now
0: yeah um i i think the biggest thing is uh, you know you don't have to know everything that happened during that uh, their day Um, but when they come in and you see them, you know, uh, uh, whether it's in a bad mood or, or you see them, you know, a lot of us, we're not going to sit there and cry, but when you you can tell when we're on that verge of tears to, to come and give, um, your spouse support at that time. Um, because there's been plenty of times that I've, I've gone through some really rough times, uh, and had some really uh, nasty calls and. I don't want to tell my, I don't want to tell my wife about, you know, the, the call I just had and, and to get her upset, but she'll come over and, you know, and she'll come for me without really, you know, going into, into the details. Um, one day in particular, it, it, it wasn't really on, on here, but one day in particular, uh, we had a uh, young lady who uh, tried to commit suicide uh, by sef- self-immolation. Um, she survived and she was sitting there talking to us. Um, it was kind of the most surreal thing to, to see. And it's one of those things that I'll never forget. Um, my, I came home, my, my wife knew I was upset and I I didn't want to talk to her about it, you know? And she kind of knew I was like, I was like, listen, I said something really bad happened and she can almost, the worst part was, was that she can smell on my clothes, that odor. And uh, she said, well, I didn't see. I, I said, yeah, and I said that that's I, I don't want to go into it too much further. But, you know, she just came by. She gave me a hug and and uh, that made me feel a lot better. So sometimes oh, wow. little signs of little signs of affection like that, you know, rather than than hey, tell me what happened, you know, is uh, a much uh, greater gift uh, than than anything else.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, so, so would your words of advice for wives also include, um, if, if your husband is not talking after a couple of days, um, like, like when, like when, when should the wife be, uh, worried? Like what, like how many days should go by without the guy talking?
0: Yeah. I, 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 I would say after a couple of days, I mean, I've had things where, uh, things have gone, gone south and, in you know, with an investigation or, or something at the department and I may not talk for a couple days. Um, once it goes into that third or fourth day, I think then, and then is the time to, to kind of, and again, not to be direct, you know, but just to, to go up and, and offer that support for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now do you have any words of advice for male officers out there who don't have, um, you know, th- their wives are not cops?
0: Um, really, I, I mean, the, the one thing is, is, uh, don't always talk shop with them. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, And that's kind of the biggest thing. Is, you know, you don't have to talk shop. Um, but uh, just go out and appreciate what you have and appreciate that, that you have somebody that's connected, you know, um, outside of the, of the police world you know, that that can help bring you, you know, back to reality sometimes, because I, I think that's what my wife has has been, you know, excellent at.
1: Right.
0: Yeah,
1: that's awesome. This has been such a great interview. Thank oh, you I so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for your 18 years of service. Thank you. Tell your wife, good job. <laughs> All right.
0: I definitely will.
1: in being she a long enforcement wife. yeah so thank you I really appreciate your time
0: all right and I appreciate the interview and again thank you so much for having me on
1: you're so welcome thanks All all right thanks The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.